The word of God has been read in our hearing. Let us pray that it would be effectual in our hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for this blessed opportunity of hearing from you. We do pray, Lord, that your word indeed would instruct us and and teach us, guide us, be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Glorify yourself, magnify yourself in this place, in our hearts and in our minds. Cause us once again to fall in love with Jesus, to adore him, to worship him, to live for him and him alone. May he get all the honor. May he get all the praise. May this be our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are making our way through the book of Judges. And we are wrapping up the life of Gideon. As we are coming to the end of Gideon's life, we are seeing what happens all too often with people of God, even faithful men of God, faithful men and women of God. The temptation is not to end well, to reach the end and to begin to go astray, to see, to look back upon our successes to look at our latter years and see that we have met with some success, that there has been a portion of prosperity in our lives, whether it is physical, material, or spiritual, and begin to be at ease. Begin to fall into the trap that is peace and prosperity. You know, in, um, in March, in May rather, of 2003, uh, former President George Bush stood on the deck of the USS Abraham and he declared an end to all major combat operations in Iraq. 2003. In other words, what what uh, former President Bush was, was saying is, is that the combat portion of the war was over and now the task was to win the hearts and the minds of the Iraqi people. Well, as history has shown us, however, not only was it and has it been difficult to win the hearts and minds of the Iraqi people, Combat in Iraq was nowhere near over when Mr. Bush made those premature comments. The peace had not yet been won and the prosperity had not yet been secured. It would seem that the former president had a plan for war, but he didn't have a very well thought out plan for peace. And so we look at the life of Gideon and we see that Gideon, as far as he is concerned, he's looked out upon the nation of Israel and the Midianites have been conquered and therefore all major combat operations in Israel at the time over. And now, 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 
It was time to live with the victory. It was time to live with the peace. Prosperity was on everyone's mind, especially on the mind of Gideon. However, as we know from our own personal experience and as we know from the examples of men and women in Scripture, oftentimes peace and prosperity are more difficult for God's people to deal with than is trial, than is want. Peace and prosperity have a trap all their own. And we, too easily fall into it. Therefore, I believe we would do well to observe it in the life of Gideon this this morning. When success comes, beloved, so too does the temptation come to glory in ourselves. When prosperity comes to us, the temptation is to make much of ourselves and even to the point of apostasy. This is very instructive to us this morning because this happens to us even while we are saying all the right things. You notice that after the war has been won and the peace has come and the prosperity is on people's mind, they come to Gideon and Gideon says all the right things. He exalts. Gideon exalts and he enthrones God, does he not? The people, the people are impressed and they are even encouraged with Gideon's leadership and the victory that Gideon had led them to. They are impressed and they are encouraged with his courage and therefore they want Gideon to be king. They want Gideon to rule over them. They want the peace and the prosperity that Gideon has brought for them to be a perpetual thing. And who better to bring this about? Than Gideon. And so Gideon, establish yourself as our king, but not only you, Gideon, establish a royal lineage so that there will ever be a son of Gideon on the throne of Israel. And Gideon seems to do what? He seems to deflect, he seems to defer even the praise of God. You know, isn't it interesting? Who better to rule over a people than those who have led them in conquering an enemy? This is something that we see in the scriptures, but we see it all throughout history. We see it in our own history, do we not? Our first president, George Washington, was elected president. But first, before he was elected president, he led the nation into victory. He was the general who commanded the forces of the colonies. And after victory over England, they made him president. Ulysses S. Grant led the Union in victory during the Civil War. 
highly esteemed, highly decorated. And soon after the victory is won in the Civil War, the people elect Ulysses Grant president. In World War II, Dwight D. Eisenhower led the Allied troops, was the great American general who, who led the nation into victory over Hitler and, the, and the, on the European scene comes back to America, and soon after that, what do the Americans do? They make him president. This is not, this is not uncommon. This is not unusual. This is something that has been rehearsed since the beginning of war. And so it is not an unusual command for the nation of Israel to look at Gideon and say, Gideon, rule over us. You have conquered our enemies. You have redeemed us. Rule over us. Not only want to get in to govern the army, they want to get in to govern the nation. But Gideon knows better than anyone knows that the victory over the Midianites was not his. It was God's. Gideon knows all of the ins and outs and the winding road that brought him to the point where now he is standing before the people and they are lauding him and they are almost worshiping him. But Gideon knows the victory is God's. And so Gideon says, no, I won't rule over you nor will my sons rule over you. But the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah, he will rule over you. But Gideon understood this. What had Gideon done, really, to deserve the praise of God, I mean, of the people? What had Gideon really done? What does anyone really do? Think about it. Think about it just for a moment. How much credit can we really take for our successes? How much credit can we really take? And so here is Gideon reminding the people that it is God who must rule over them because of this important point. It is God who redeemed them. Gideon didn't redeem them. God redeemed them. Gideon didn't save them. God saved them. Gideon didn't conquer their enemies. God conquered their enemies. And therefore, it is God who must rule. If they are going to have their Redeemer rule over them, then Gideon says you need to have the right Redeemer rule over you. And that is God Almighty. Jehovah himself. You know, beloved, here is an important and a primary confession that the church needs to reclaim once again. And that is this, that it is Jesus who is Lord. It is Jesus who is Lord. This was the primary confession of the early church. The primary confession of the early church. The early codified confession and creed of the early church was just those simple words. Jesus is Lord. 
He is king. He is the one who rules. He is the one who reigns from the very beginning. Why? Because he is the one who redeems. He is the one who saves. He is the one who conquers enemies. It all belongs to him. It's his. He owns it. Jesus himself made this point, Matthew chapter 16, where he says, I will build my church. It's his church. Belongs to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we are reminded that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price. What price? The price indeed is his own precious blood. He owns us. He owns the church. He rules. He reigns. Oh, that we would reclaim, that we would reaffirm this important truth once again, that churches and Christians would reclaim the truth that is Jesus who is Lord. Not the preacher. Not the music director. Not the bishops. Not the pope. Not the elders. Not the women. It's Jesus. Jesus is Lord. You have but one redeemer. And therefore, you have but one king. And it is Jesus. Gideon reminds the nation of this. I'm not going to rule over you. My sons are not going to rule over you. God is going to rule over you. Because the victory is God's. However, even though Gideon enthrones God with his lips, Gideon entitles himself with his actions. For you notice as the story continues that Gideon does not accept the call to king, but he does want to take advantage of the situation. He is not looking to enthrone himself, but he is looking to take advantage of the situation. He won't take credit for the victory with his mouth, but he is willing to take advantage of the victory with his actions. With his mouth, he exalts and enthrones God, but with his heart... He entitles himself and his family. He refused to be king, but he had a plan for his family to be prominent. For he says, I won't rule over you, my my family won't rule over you, but let me make a request of you. Let me make a request of you. Every one of you give me the earrings from his spoil. Bring to me the booty. Bring to me the treasure. 
Bring to me your silver, your gold, your precious jewelry. Bring to me all of the spoils from the victory. You know, we get a sense here of where Gideon's heart is. You know, it is very easy. It is very easy for us to give Christ all the praise with our lips, but then with our actions and with our hearts, we make much of ourselves. After singing and after preaching, after winning the game, after serving faithfully, we often, we often, somebody says, mild humility, but we practice pride. Oh, you don't, you don't have to tell me I'm right. I know I'm right because I sense this all the time in my own heart. People frequently ask me, how's the church doing? I'm hearing good things about East Point Church. And the first words that come out of my mouth, well, God is good. Praise God. God has been so good to us. God has been so gracious to us. God is doing wonderful things. Jesus is Lord. Worship Christ. Then I feel pride welling up in my heart. And begin to try to recount all the things that I have done and all the things that other people have done to make East Point Church what it is even at this young stage. As if we have done anything. After singing. After preaching. After serving. How well. How well you painted the walls. How diligently you have served and given your time and energy. How joyfully you serve in the nursery. How wonderfully you greet people at the door. It's easy. It's very easy. To have humility on our lips. But pride. In our hearts. And even in our action. Jesus denouncing this type of hypocrisy concerning the Pharisees and those who were around him. In Mark chapter 7, quoted from Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13, Jesus says, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Apparently, apparently, Peace and prosperity was just too much for Gideon. Too, too much for Gideon to handle. And entitlement, entitlement is always a danger for those who meet with success, especially those who lead. So Gideon will not enthrone himself, but Gideon has this sense of entitlement. I have led the nation, yes. I have wrought this victory uh, for the nation. Yes, we have conquered the Midianites. I don't want to be the king, but I do deserve something. Me and my family do deserve something. How easy entitlement wells up in us, especially those who lead. We can easily begin to think that we are owed a little extra. 
we begin to think that we are owed a little leeway, that we are owed certain privileges and excesses. And we begin to think as much as anyone else, we, 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 the leaders, should be enjoying the fruit that comes from our labors. And beloved, this sense of entitlement always leads to doom. And ultimately, to idolatry. We see it, we see it, we see it, we see it all throughout our world. We saw it with Martha Stewart. We saw it with Bill Clinton. We saw it with Tiger Woods. All of these people meeting with a huge measure of success in the eyes of the world, and they begin to think that they are just a little bit better than everybody else, and therefore they are old. They can take certain privileges. They can do certain things. They are allowed to enjoy the fruit of their hard work. You know, this is terrible. It's terrible when we see it out in the world. It is absolutely tragic when it happens in the church. And brothers and sisters, too often, this is the case, even in the church of Jesus Christ. See it rehearsed all the time. I've been in churches and I've seen them on TV, these huge churches that have signs written on the back of them that says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But bring me your money. Jesus is Lord. But bring your earrings. Bring your jewelry. Bring your cash. And beloved, so awful and and, and so hideous is it that even there people will come and lay money on the steps. And every day, bringing money and laying it at the preacher's feet. Why the preacher is saying, I'm not God, I'm not Lord, I'm not ruling over you. Jesus is Lord, you just bring us the money. It would be funny if it just wasn't so tragic. It would be. And here, Gideon demonstrates the folly of it all. Gideon here fleeces the people. In in chapter 6, he set out a fleece. And now in chapter 8, he's fleecing the people. Unfortunately, we see this scene played out almost every week in places that call themselves churches. And unfortunately, here's the unfortunate aspect of it, is that those around these people empower them to feel that they are entitled. 
The people around them empower them to feel they are entitled because there is no accountability. And more times than not, when leaders go astray and take advantage of the people, the people are there culpable always. Also, letting these things happen. Notice what the people said. When Gideon said, bring me your earrings, bring me your jewelry, bring me your money, they said, oh yes, gladly we will. Yes, gladly we'll give you whatever you want, Gideon. God said through the prophet Jeremiah in verse 5, verse in uh, chapter 5 and verse 11, the prophets prophesied falsely and the priests rule at their direction. And my people love to have it so. Beloved, I am I am hard pressed this morning to let you know that the judgment of God is real. And don't think for one moment that his judgment stops in Decatur. But where there is no accountability, where there is a sense of entitlement, where there are people culpable in those situations, know that God will not allow idolatry to go on very long. Oh, be warned this morning, church. And we're all susceptible to such excesses. Peace and prosperity have traps all their own. Because you get this idea that you owe something. You get this idea that you're entitled. Beloved, God does not owe us anything. When you have served, when you have done all that you can do, when you have given up your time and your resources for the kingdom of God, when you have laid down your life and service to others and in worship to Christ, Jesus says in in Luke chapter 17 that when it is all said and done, look at yourself and know that you are nothing more than an unworthy servant. You have only done what he has commanded you to do. God doesn't owe us anything except the hell that is due us for our sin. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you a good marriage. He doesn't owe you faithful kids. He doesn't owe you a good job. He doesn't owe you a fine bank account. He doesn't owe you a fine education. He doesn't owe you a home up on the hill. And our discontentment in this world is based on the fact that we get to thinking that God owes us something. And he doesn't owe us anything except the punishment of eternal hell for the sins that we commit Every day. And this is why we need to stand amazed 
at the salvation of Jesus Christ. If the Lord doesn't give you another thing in this world, you will rejoice through all eternity that you have Christ. And you didn't earn that. Anything that we have, beloved, anything that we have in this world, if there is any measure of joy and peace in your life, it is by the mercy and grace of God. It's not owed to us. We are not entitled. Not at all. This is what Paul understood this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Yet in verse 15, he said, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But, he says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Here, Paul is saying, my life is an example. I am worthy of nothing. But I received mercy. It's not what I've done because I look at my life and I'm the foremost. I am the chief of sinners. And yet I received mercy. This is Paul never stopped being amazed that he was saved. Oh, beloved, too often we take it for granted. I think we really need to get it in our hearts and ask the question, how can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Think about that. How can it be that I should gain? We ought to really mean it when we sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Love it. We are not entitled. Everything we have is by the mercy of God. Gideon, on the other hand, believes he is entitled, and thus he took the wealth of the nation and made an ephod. And this ephod, what it is, it was part of the high priestly clothing. It was the front portion that he would slip on over his robe. It was made of precious stones and of of gold. It was that that distinguished the high priest in that he was the person who would intercede and even receive from God the will of God for the people. It was a prestigious article of clothing. It was that that represented in many ways that, that, that the people of God would know the will of God and the direction that God had for their life. And therefore, it empowered the high priest. 
And it caused the people to turn to the high priest for direction and for insight. And here's Gideon. He's got to make an ephod himself. God hasn't told Gideon to make an ephod. God hasn't told Gideon to redirect the people's worship to his hometown. God hasn't told Gideon to tell the people that now they will gather in Gideon's hometown with Gideon's people for worship. Now, I do believe at some, at, at some level, Gideon probably had good intentions. The people of God had been scattered. The Midianites had conquered them. The people had been scattered, and the worship of God was not faithfully going on. So Gideon decided, probably with some good intentions, let's rally the people and let's give them, let's centralize worship once again. But you know what? Aaron had good intentions, too, when he built that golden calf. And beloved, you can have good intentions, but as someone has reminded us, the road to hell is paved with them. The road to hell is paved with good intentions because good intentions are not always God intentions. And it is not good intentions that we seek. It's God intentions. What does God want us to do? What is God commanding us to do? Because it is God who rules over us. It is Jesus who is Lord. It is God. It is Jesus who is the only one who's entitled. But when Gideon seeks entitlement, when Gideon seeks to reorient the people, he turns the hearts of the people, even his own family, away from God. Because entitlement is one step away from idolatry. There was peace and prosperity in in Israel. (laughs) But peace and prosperity, beloved, has a trap all its own. here's, Here's an important word to remember this morning. And that is that leaders disappoint. Leaders disappoint. Presidents disappoint. Parents disappoint. Pastors disappoint. Those who are enthroning and exalting Christ today often find themselves entitled and enthroning themselves tomorrow. Leaders disappoint. Those who are often leading people in Christ today, we look around and when they begin to meet with some success and no accountability, will easily lead people astray tomorrow. Because leaders disappoint. However, Let these disappointments temper our expectations. Let these disappointments cushion 
our despair. And let these disappointments turn our gaze away from the leader and ultimately turn our gaze to Christ. Turn our gaze to Christ, to that leader, the leader of God's elect, and see that he never disappoints. See Christ and understand that he is enthroned, that he is entitled, and that he always leads his people into triumph in him. Turn our gaze and look to Christ and see the one in whom there was no sin, the one against whom no one could bring a charge. Take your eyes off of the human leaders and get your focus on Christ and really know that Jesus is the Lord. And he is the only one worthy to rule and to reign in his church and in our lives. I promise you, you reconfess again this morning and hold it into your heart that Jesus is Lord. He will not disappoint you. He will not disappoint you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning, 